thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and to lay down our burdens, our cares, our sins, to be made clean, to be made new. Thank you for this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Each day of your journey through life should be directed toward a richly satisfying end of your earthly days. The end of our life is not really the end. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, you also will be raised. For those who are in Jesus, life is aimed at the promise of new life. Glad you're here. You're joining us in the middle of a, a first day of a new series called In His Steps. If you haven't picked up one of these devotionals yet, we ask you to pick one of those up. It's kind of a guide that directs us as we move forward towards Easter. And uh, just a daily devotion doesn't take very long to read, usually just a short verse and a couple of reflections to think about. But I uh, hope you'll do it. I hope you'll participate. I think it'll make your Easter experience greater, but also I think you'll find it improves just how you go about your day. So join us on this journey in his steps together. Speaking of steps, one of the things that is frequently given as a graduation present uh, to, to, to teenagers is a book by Dr. Seuss. Now, it might seem odd we give that out as a graduation present, but it, it's, it's based on the last book that Theodore Geisel wrote. And it's a, a poem that, of course, he illustrated that is 33 stanzas long, called Oh, the Places You'll Go, a fun story for the most part, and, uh, and, and a proverb of sorts, if you would. It starts with words like these, congratulations, today is your day, you're off to great places, you're off and away. You have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself any direction that you choose. You're on your own, you know what you know, and you are the guy who will decide where to go. You look up and down the streets, look them over with care. About some you will say, I don't choose to go there. With your head full of brains and your shoes full of feet, you're too smart to go down any not-so-good street. And so it is that he begins this whimsical proverb about life. It's both reflective, things from his own life, but it's also instructive. And it has a lot of interesting truths in it until you come to the stanza that is uh, stanza number 21. He's been describing, uh, just before that, a place called the waiting place, a place of uncertainty, a place of confusion, a, a place where we don't know how we're going to make it forward. In the 21st stanza, he says this, somehow you'll escape. Now, I love Dr. Seuss, and I'm not a critic of, of his uh, poem, per se, but he, he highlights something that's true, but he doesn't give a concrete answer, does he? Somehow you're going to figure it out. But he doesn't tell us what the way is. He doesn't tell us how the path forward is to go. He's not unlike a character that we read about, and I want us to focus on today in our Bibles, the character of Thomas, who will come to a moment where he says, I don't know the way. <laughs> I don't know where to go. And Jesus, of course, will address that in a very powerful way. But before we get all the way to chapter 14 of the book of John where that happens, let's first take a look at some of the events that happen in John chapter 13, beginning with verse 1, that sets the stage for this story. Listen to these words 
from John 13, 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. So the events that that go forward here are things that Jesus did because he loved the disciples, because he cared for the disciples, because he was concerned for the disciples, and because he knew what was coming. He knew that the hour, the, the chapter, the most painful chapter of the story was about to begin. And he was concerned for these men that had walked beside him for three years. He was worried about them. He he wanted to make sure that they gathered the the full depth of of what he was trying to show them and teach them. And so we have here this powerful image in this chapter of Jesus kind of taking extraordinary steps to make sure that that they know he cares about them. As they're all gathered together, they're, they're, they're kind of having a special dinner for the Passover feast, and, and, uh, and Jesus is talking to them. And as he's talking with them and he's, he's ministering to them, Jesus begins to drop what I call truth bombs, <laughs> these mind-blowing truths that, that really rock the disciples. They're, they're things they wouldn't have expected. They're things we don't necessarily expect. And, and, and they're pretty profound for where they are in the story. One of the first ones happens in verse 15 of chapter 13. When Jesus has put a towel around himself, he's got down on the ground, he's washed their feet, uh, he's, he's done for them what, what others hadn't done, and, and when he does that, Jesus says this thing to them, right? He says, it, it, uh, he says the one who's being served isn't the most important one but the one who does the serving. And it's the service that matters. And Jesus says, I'm among you as one who serves. He totally upends what they recognize as the social hierarchy. They think it's all about being first. In fact, before this, James and John have thought about who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the most important? We read from one of the other authors who reviewed this story, who was a part of that night, who says, Yeah, they were fighting about who was the greatest on that very night. Jesus says, the greatest isn't the person that everyone else is talking about. The greatest is the one who serves. I'm among you as one who serves you. Truth bomb. That wasn't the only one, though. (laughs) There were more truth bombs to be dropped that night. In fact, he says it again in verse 21. He really rocks their world when he tells them that one of them is going to betray him. He says, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. (laughs) When they hear that, they're they're in shock. What? Betray you? I mean, what do you mean? We gave up our lives. For three years, we followed you. Who's going to betray you? That's the question. In fact, they start asking, is it me? Am I the one? Who's going to do this thing? Jesus kind of implies it's going to be Judas, but they don't understand what's going on around them. Betrayal? Wow. That's a hard thing to hear. Then he goes on. And this is maybe the biggest of all. He starts to talk to them about things that are going to happen. And we read as he's going along here, he says uh, in verse 33, My children, I'll be with you only a little longer. 
You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. And Simon Peter replies, where are you going? Where are you going? Jesus says it again. Where I am going, you cannot follow me. What? (laughs) Jesus, we've spent three years following you. What do you mean we can't follow you now? This is amazing. You told us, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You told us, just follow me. And so we've been following you, and now you tell us we can't follow you anymore. What are you talking about? This is a big deal. (laughs) Their minds are really, really perplexed. The only hope they have are those words that come next where Jesus says, in a little while, though, you'll follow me again. Now, they don't know he's talking about the cross. You know that. You're on the other side of history. Uh, They don't know everything he's talking about that's going to happen that night. But they sure don't like what they're hearing. They sure don't like what they're hearing, especially Peter. I mean, what do we do when we don't like what Jesus says? That happens sometimes, right? He tells us that we don't always want to hear. What he asks us to do is not always easy. That happens in this story. One of the people who's involved in this story and makes a very powerful moment is Peter. Uh, Peter's dumbfounded by these words of Jesus. Lord, why can't I follow you? I'll lay my life down for you, he says in verse 37. You talk about truth bombs. Listen to this one. (laughs) And Jesus says to him, Peter, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Now you know that the other disciples get that Peter is kind of an important figure. They've heard Jesus say things like, I'm going to build my church on this rock. Uh, They've been there. Uh, They've seen Peter do some incredible things, that whole, you know, taking some steps in the water. They've seen Peter do some pretty amazing stuff, and, and they get it. Whenever Jesus is doing something really special, Peter gets to come along. Like the transfiguration up on the mountain, Peter gets to go. The other disciples may not always like it, but they get it. Peter's an important part of this team. He's kind of the leader. Now, Jesus is the primary leader, but for the rest of the team, he's like team captain, okay? And what did they just hear here? Jesus says, your team captain's going to deny me three times. Peter's like, there's no way. There's no way that's going to happen. I'll die for you. There's no way. Jesus is looking before the rooster crows at the end of the day. Three times. The disciples are devastated. Watch Jesus told them tonight. First, what you think is important is not. It's not about being the one who gets to be the greatest, but being the one who serves. Second, one of you is going to betray me. That's going to happen. Third, you can't go with me. And oh yeah, fourth, Peter's going to really, really mess up tonight. (laughs) Unsettling, to say the least. And that's why chapter 14 opens the way it does. If you have your Bibles, turn on. Let's focus our attention to the text in John chapter 14. And listen to these words. That's why Jesus says them. He says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. I know this is freaking you out, he says, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust 
in God. Trust also in me. Let me just pause right there. Sometimes there's a sermon and the sermon and this is it. Right? If you don't capture anything else today, highlight that verse. Trust in God and trust in Christ. If you don't get anything else today, get that sentence in your mind. Because that's the most important thing you can hear. In life, there's a huge question, who am I going to trust? Who am I going to trust to teach me? Who am I going to trust to work with? Who am I going to trust as my life's partner and, and friend and, and spouse? Who am I going to trust? Who am I going to put my trust in? And the truth for most of us is we have trusted people who have let us down. We have trusted people who have betrayed us or failed us, and so trust isn't easily given by a lot of us. And sometimes we find ourselves wondering, just like, like they did, who am I going to trust? Listen to me, friends. You can always trust God. Amen. You can always trust him. Jesus says that to them. Listen, trust in God. Trust in me. And then the beautiful words, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I am going there to prepare a place for you. So their questions had been, where are you going? He says, now I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I want you to think about that in the context of this particular day in the story of Jesus. They've spent the whole day, the disciples have, getting ready for this Passover meal. They had to go out and get the room, get the food, get everything ready. The disciples prepared all that. A part of them have argued about that, about who did the most work and who was most important. But Jesus now switches, he flips the script, he says, but I'm preparing something for you. The things they had prepared, imperfect. <laughs> they forgot to have anything there to have someone wash the feet of the guests. Jesus had to take care of that for them. Their preparation had been incomplete. But Jesus' preparation is complete. It's perfect. He tells them, I'm preparing a place for you. <laughs> for you. That's where I'm going. That's what's going to happen. And not only that, he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I will take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I am going. And all of a sudden, here's Thomas. What are you talking about, Lord? We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? I want you to think about something. I think the disciples thought about it. Where has Jesus gone for you? He's going to prepare a place for you, he says. He's, he's gone. He's, where has he gone for you? Some of you recognize Jesus at a really difficult moment. You, you, not to pick on anybody here, but, but some of you, you, you recognize him at, a, at an all-time low, sitting in a jail cell with a DUI or a, a problem that you got yourself into. And in the midst of that, all of a sudden you experience Jesus. He was there. Others found it after battling addiction, hitting the very rock bottom. And surprisingly, Jesus was there when you were at rock bottom. And you were surprised to see him. Some of you experienced and discovered Jesus when you 
had had a horrible thing happen in your relationships and you lost a husband or a wife to divorce. He said, how am I going to make it on my own? And you figured out, well, I'm not alone. <laughs> and Jesus was there. You see, Jesus had this knack for going to some really unusual places. Remember the places he went? If Seuss's poem was, oh, the places you'll go, we should write a poem. Oh, the places he went. <laughs> I'm not going to put this in the lyrical rhyming verse, but right, think about the places he went. Like that time that he takes the boat ride across the lake with his disciples, and when he lands, he goes to a graveyard. And as soon as they get to the graveyard, what happens? A naked, crazy man comes running at him saying, I am legion. And you got to imagine that the 12 disciples were like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> and Jesus is like, no, this is the place I have to go because i got to put this man in his right mind. And he did. He even brought him some clothes to wear. It's kind of preparedness Jesus has. Oh, the places he would go, like that well in Samaria in the middle of the day with the person that everyone else had, you know, didn't think much of, but Jesus went to that woman who had, you know, the relationship challenges, and after their conversation, she became one of the first evangelists who told people about the Messiah. That's the place that he went. Oh, there were so many places that Jesus was willing to go. We could look at all those different stories of the places that he went. Up on a mountain in a remote village to give the Sermon on the Mount to a bunch of people who were kind of anti-government, anti-establishment uh, loners, right? They didn't like all the stuff that was happening back in Jerusalem and Rome. They just want to be left alone. But Jesus found them, preached one of his greatest sermons among them. Oh, the places he was willing to go. And here he says, I'm going to go some other places for you. Now, they don't know that part of what he's going to do is go to the cross. They don't know that yet. But you do. Oh, the places he was willing to go for me and for you. All the way to the cross. He came to the cross and he took what was an emblem of torture and of guilt and of shame. He transformed it into the image of salvation. He went to the tomb that had always been a symbol of permanence, the end of life, and he transformed it into a symbol that said the grave is not all there is. There's something beyond that. You see, when he enters a place, he typically transforms the people. He transforms the place, and when he comes into our circumstance, he transforms us. He, he wants to transform you. Some of you have a, a situation that seems overwhelming and impossible, just like the grave or the cross or whatever thing you want to say that it is. Invite him in. And just see how he transforms your life, transforms your circumstance. Oh, when he goes to a place, he changes it. Be certain of that. I'm going to go prepare a place for you, he says. But Thomas, he is just like us. He gets a bad rap for being a doubter, and, and some people say some things. But Thomas is really quite brave. On one occasion, he says, let's go with him to Jerusalem that we can die with him. And on this occasion, he really says, I just want to be with you, Jesus, but I don't understand what you're saying. I'm not getting it. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? His head is swimming in confusion. Wait, where are you going? How do we get there? I don't understand what you're saying. I don't want to be separated from you. If I don't know where you're going, how am I going to get there? Please give us some directions. Don't leave it like the Seuss poem that says somehow you'll just figure it out. 
Don't leave us there. I need something concrete. Give me an answer. And Jesus responds with one of the most beautiful, most poignant, most exclusive verses in all of the Bible. It is both an encouragement and yet it is also a terrifying verse when we consider the state of our world. Here's what he said to Thomas. Thomas, I am the way, the truth. I am the life. But no one comes to the Father except through me. There's no back door. (laughs) There's no going around him. There's no getting over him. Every single one of us, if we hope to make it to heaven, we have to go through him. You see, we will all face him, every one of us. He is the door. He is the gate. He is the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him. And you have seen him. Philip joins Thomas in a little confusion here. He says, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough. Which is such a statement for Philip, right? Because it implies that when he says that'll be enough, it, it implies that so far everything Jesus has done still hasn't been quite enough for Philip. Like I need just a little bit more. I'm almost persuaded. Just show me one more thing. Man, there's a lot of truth happening on this night. Judas is going to betray me. Peter is going to deny me. Philip shows his cards. Yeah. It's hard to hide things in the presence of Jesus. He has a way of looking right through us to the truth. Show us, Jesus. Show us God. That'll be enough. And it's almost as if Jesus was hurt by Philip's words. Because there's an empathy, a a kindness, a, a sincerity in what he says that He speaks to me and says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show me the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are, are not my own. Rather, is the Father living in me, who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am the Father. The Father is in me. Or at least believe the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. I posited a question before you just a moment ago. Where has Jesus gone for you? He told Thomas, Philip, and the others. <laughs> 
I'm going to my father. And when I get there, we're going to talk about you. Your name is going to be discussed. We're going to build a special place for you. Perfect for you. That's where we're going to go. Where has he gone for you? You know. Where did you first meet him? Was it a church service? Did you pick up a Bible and start reading? Did you have a sense of his presence? Where's he gone for you? Of course, the hard question for Thomas, for Philip, for Peter, and for us, as we think about a series and his steps, the hard question for us is not where has he gone for me, but where will I go for him? If he leads me, will I follow? If he asks, will I obey? That's the hardest question. And we face it every day, don't we? Am I going to follow him today? Am I going to trust him today? Am I going to go where he leads me today? Oh, the places you'll go if you trust him. Because he's the way. There are some in this space who have never yet given their life to Jesus Christ. You've never yet made him your Lord and your Savior. You've never yet said yes to Jesus. And maybe you're like Philip. Just a little more, Lord, and I'll be enough. Maybe. We can all be there sometimes. I can tell you that after the cross, it was enough for Philip. And he becomes a great evangelist. Not only he, but his daughters too become great evangelists for the kingdom of God. But he had to have that moment where he was convinced. And when he was convinced, he was fully convinced. Philip gave his life to Jesus. He gave his actual life for Jesus in the end. Are you willing to do the same today? He's gone so many places for you. If you've never accepted, will you go a place for him? Come to the front today and say, I, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to be faithful in Christian baptism. I, I want to die to an old way of life and rise to a new way of life in Jesus Christ. Because he is the way, friend. In fact, you know later on, when Paul begins to preach, he'll talk to people, the, the, the crux of his message, he'll be known as the people of the way. <laughs> They're following the Jesus way. It's an interesting thing. So how about you? Are you following the Jesus way? Or are you going your own way? There's only one path that leads to life. And there's only one person who knows the way. And it ain't me. And it ain't you. It's Jesus. If you have a decision to make, make as we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation. Amen. Um.